Hi everyone and welcome to Raw Tools. This is an emergency episode. I know I had mentioned on the Thanksgiving episode that I'd be taking the week off. However, uh, a lot of things have happened in the last few days. There were about three games that really changed my view of the college football season and college football playoff that I'll talk about in a second. There were some coaching changes that are still happening as of Monday night, the recording of this episode that have caught my eye. And really, when I got back to the great state of Oklahoma, I just wanted to broadcast and bring on the Studio Soapbox family, including Thomas Bridges, Tyler Jones, and hopefully Coach Brian O'Connor. Those three games that caught my eye, Ohio State-Michigan, pretty clean cut. That's a big win for the Wolverines that should put them in contention for the playoffs for sure. The second one was Alabama and Auburn. I was working a venue in Texas over the weekend, and the security guy comes up to me and says, hey, did you see that, you know, Alabama lost, and I was looking at my phone. I was like, well, you know, no, no, there's there's two minutes left, and there's three timeouts there in regulation. Like, Auburn's up a touchdown. They Alabama can call their timeouts and, and, you know, still get the ball back. And he was like, no, 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 this is over. They just got to run the ball three times. And I was like, dummy, that's not how football works. And lo and behold, the tide come back. It takes four overtimes, and they avoid the upset. And then, of course, there was Bedlam. I went on record several times on Tyler's podcast, on my podcast, that I thought the OU-OSU dynamic was going to remain the same for Bedlam. It was not. And for reasons we might be discussing and dissecting for the next several weeks, uh, the Sooners lost in Oklahoma State, now the prime candidate for the Big 12 title and a college football playoff spot. We're almost out of all the red teams. It's Georgia, and I guess you can consider Cincinnati a red team, but it's usually those... Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, Georgia types, we could get a non-red team playoff. Like all the good teams in college basketball are blue teams. Anyway, uh, one thing that I was thinking about as I digest this news that Lincoln Riley is leaving Oklahoma to go to USC is that Riley must have known or his agent must have known for several weeks that this was a possibility, that there was outside interest Heck, there always has been from the NFL level or other college football openings. None really attracted Riley's concern and services. So give it at least maybe a couple weeks that there is a seed planted in the back of Riley's mind. And he still had the Sooners within a game of the Big 12 championship. So we're talking maybe the Iowa State game. There's a little seed of an idea that he might be leaving. Maybe the Texas Tech game, maybe that far, but I'm not quite sure. And I also see Football Scoop reported that Brian Harson, the head coach of Auburn, was connected to the University of Washington job, which has since been filled. It was Iron Bowl week, and Brian Harson was potentially dreaming about Pac-12 football. And he was still a two-point conversion away, the four-overtime game away, from beating Alabama in the Iron Bowl. And I pose to you, that in this day and age, college football coaches should care less. Not about their relationships with their players. That's paramount. Recruiting. I mean, this is the reason why we play the games is for the satisfaction, the glorification of young men. This is not about treating them poorly at all. But in terms of job security, in terms of the big picture, in terms of your contract with the university, it should all be transitory. Career stability is a myth. 
If you stay at a high-stakes college football program for more than five seasons these days, win or lose, you are the outlier. Lane Kiffin lasted one year at Tennessee, got back on the wagon, went to the Nick Saban rehab clinic for coaches, spent two years at FAU before he left. Eli Drinkwitz, one year at Appalachian State, undefeated season, books it for Missouri. Manny Diaz, spent 30 minutes as the head coach at Temple, went to Miami. Loyalty to one single company is all but gone. That was the boomers thing. Worked for them, and it doesn't for millennials or Gen Z. It's a laborer's market right now. Employers are struggling to find workers. Why? Because the price of rent goes up, you've got a car payment, you've got a family to take care of, and then you start seeing your wages not adjust to inflation. It is on the laborer's side these days. Just the common man, you let me work remote, you pay me the hourly rate that I want, you cater to demands that certain workers and unions want. And if you don't like that, tough. Lincoln Riley was, I saw on Twitter, I forgot who said it, but he was a quote-unquote millennial hire. Uh, when OU was no longer the right fit, didn't feel like the right place to be, uh, he found a better one. This was a business decision on Lincoln Riley's part. And he thought going to California, raising his family in L.A., would be the best thing long-term for his career. Oklahoma, by the way, is going to be fine. They're going to find someone appropriate. They'll win however many games. I said on Twitter they'll win 10 games a year. Yes, they're going to the SEC, but as of right now, they might be the fourth best team in the SEC. Both sides are going to come out of the end of this just fine. And Joe Castiglione, the athletic director for OU, one of the most well-connected guys in the country, and he has been an ace when making these hires. When he hired Porter Moser to, to replace the retiring Lon Kruger, there was no first-degree connection between Castiglione and Moser. But if he doesn't know the star candidate he wants, he knows someone who does. And it is weird that Oklahoma is getting in on this coaching carousel a bit late, and they may not get the prime A1 candidate that they want, but they will find someone who's appropriate. The effects of Riley leaving the way he did and taking some recruits with him, taking some of the staff with him, will last one recruiting cycle, maybe two. There's plenty of time to patch up the 2023 class. There's plenty of time to find diamonds in the rough. And OU is a university that sells itself. That football program is a national brand. Like interim coach Bob Stoops said Monday night, the program is more than just a coach and always will be. But in terms of jobs being transitory, in terms of college football coaches being detached from the situation, there was always this idea that college football coaches were control freaks, were very particular. And, and I do think there is some degree of narcissism and ego involved in being a coach at a major division one school but even Jim Harbaugh gets this yes he just beat Ohio State yes he loves UM more than anything he cares about his players he is there he's in the middle of that crowd he's wearing sunglasses wears khakis doesn't really doesn't really care much about his self-image and that's the kind of guy you want someone who is more detached from the situation 
that knows that this is just a game and it's about the players. I'm team Lincoln Riley on this one. I get the move. I think it makes sense for both sides. He had reached his ceiling in Norman. And that's all I got to say about that. A lot of people are comparing this move to Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder. Uh, but it's not even close. For one, Katie didn't take Anthony Morrow or Cameron Payne with him to Golden State. And second, like I just said, losing Riley is not going to have long-term consequences. What say you, Tyler Jones? There we go. Helps if I turn my mic on, right? <laughs> um, yes, glad to be here, Luke. I'm making my debut on Raw Tools. Um, you know, I have thought long and hard about this move of Lincoln Riley heading to Los Angeles. And you don't want to react on emotion, right? That you want to let things sit there and you know, sit through. And I asked myself that same question that everyone had on their minds or just went right out and made the statement of, is Lincoln Riley afraid of the SEC and this move? And, you know, initially I, I was open to the idea of that Lincoln Riley making this move to USC was about USC and an opportunity that presented itself. But when you also look at the, the LSU job was also open and he was heavily desired, that there was a fear factor that he could have had everything he wanted at LSU or he could have been right there at home at the University of Oklahoma instead goes off to USC in a conference that's very weak right now that, uh, you know, there's sure a big opportunity there, but... Uh, to me, this was a, a weak move. This was about getting away from the SEC and competing with the best of the best. And Lincoln Riley was not ready for that challenge. And you look at the style of football that Lincoln Riley coached at Oklahoma, very finesse, not physical. Um, and we're hearing reports from various outlets that Lincoln Riley didn't like Oklahoma's move to the SEC and such. I think that was the biggest uh, reason why this occurred, why USC uh, was because he wanted nothing to do with the SEC altogether. So I disagree with that. Um, I think Oklahoma, it's a name brand. This is as, you know, big as it gets in college football is, is Oklahoma right up there among the elites of the Alabamas, the Notre Dames, the LSUs of the world. They'll find a, a great head coach. Joe Castiglione is as good as anybody out there. And I think that when you talk about the two things that coexisting, where I would agree with you on this, Luke, is that now's the time for this Oklahoma program where they can step back a bit and say, all right, now you need to get a physical, tough-minded coach to head into the SEC that can do the things that Lincoln Riley wasn't doing. Well, Lincoln Riley takes his brand of finesse, fast football to the Pac-12 and makes that work out there. I think those two things can coexist. I think Oklahoma can be fine, and Lincoln Riley can have success at USC as well. But it's vital they get this higher right, right now before they dig themselves into a hole potentially later down the road in the SEC and try to find another coach to make this SEC thing work. Here's the thing. I agree with everything you just said. I think Riley found a better fit for him. Oklahoma can do better. 
And really, I mean, Riley living in California where he wants to be, build back USC potentially to a national power, win the Pac-12, those are all appealing things. And it didn't coalesce at all. Maybe he is afraid of the SEC, and I wouldn't blame him whatsoever. At this point, we are welcoming in Brian O'Connor from the Coach Bo No Show on Studio Soapbox, as well as Thomas Bridges, the co-host of the Jones Report. And gentlemen, just the chaos that has happened in the last, the last day Riley booking it to USC. Apparently, Brian Kelly going to LSU. I don't know if that's completely 100% confirmed yet, but we're getting it looks like it. It is legit reports. It's, I mean, what are you guys making of this coaching carousel? Let me jump in. Uh, I go in with Tyler said, I agree with Tyler on the, uh, the situation in Oklahoma and with everything. With I, I think this is, I don't want to call it a cowardly move. But it's clearly a, here's the one way I'll say this, where it's not a negative. One thing you can be looking at if you're Lincoln Riley is you can be saying, hey, I'm going to go to the SEC, whether it's staying at Oklahoma or going to LSU. And he was offered the LSU job, I can tell you that. If he didn't take that, what he could have been thinking is simply this. Look at every job in the SEC in the last five years. All but one have turned over. And that one is Alabama. So he could be looking at to say, hey, I'm going to USC where there is going to be a low bar and an opportunity to make a longer haul because it might even get at Oklahoma in the next two to three years tough for Lincoln Riley if he can't compete with Alabama and LSU in that same division in the SEC. So for that piece, I understand it. But I do think this is the guy who had an opportunity to be at two of the three best SEC schools at the same time. I mean, I'll, I'll come in and say this, an SEC guy, Oklahoma is going to come in as, as either the second or best football team. I mean, Alabama's one. You can say that LSU and Oklahoma are two and two A. I mean, however you want to argue that. I won't split airs on that right now. But here Lincoln Riley had the chance to have either job, and he chose to go out west instead. Now, I think the USC job is a great job. I think it's a great job, especially now in the time of the NIL. That's going to really help with recruiting. It's going to really help to be able to get those California guys to stay. You know, the guys are going to want to play in Los Angeles knowing they can make money as well. But the Lincoln, the Lincoln Rally thing is surprising to me that he took the USC job. And I think it does show that he was a little afraid of the SEC deal. One thing I forgot to mention in my monologue, which, uh, Brian, you missed out a little bit, but it was kind of, yeah. I feel that college coaches should be a little bit more detached and be able to do this transitory thing. I mean, sure. coach, uh, contract flexibility has been there forever. We're seeing it now for players more with the transfer portal. But one thing that I forgot to mention was just the amount of burnout that happens, especially yeah. over the course of Riley's five years at Oklahoma. He went from boy wonder to like, Balding man, graying hair, yeah. very much reserved. I'm not the yeah. next type coach at LSU. Kind of like really reserved and jaded type of personality. And you see that so much these days with coaches that aren't, I won't say flying by the seat of their pants, but but you know they all care. You know they're really good sure. coaches. But there are some who take it to the extreme. And that's why you see so much burnout and coaches retiring as early as they do. Riley gets, like you said, so much a better deal in the age of NIL going to an NFL market in Los Angeles and not really having to be the, the superstar and presidential face of his program. 
That's, yeah. I mean, that's USC has always been, you know, Pete Carroll, but those types of guys that can kind of fade into the, the background and not be the celebrity coach. Whereas you're the president of Oklahoma. You sometimes yeah. have more sway than, than Kevin Stitt does. The way USC alums put it is that they want a coach who always has his golf clubs in the car. It's more about rubbing elbows than it is yeah. about coaching football sometimes. You know, I, as far as USC, it's a home run of a hire. Right. No it's one's an absolute home run that. of a hire. Yeah. Um, you know, my only concern, my only issue with that is simply Lincoln Riley, he, he, he has, I would assume he's looking at it as this is the job I know I'll be at for the next at least five years. Because that's not guaranteed to anybody in the SEC right now. Sure. Right. Now, one point I'll add, uh, Luke, real quick. I was listening to a friend of ours, uh, Eddie Rodasovich from Sooner Scoop, and Eddie brought up an interesting point about this whole Lincoln Riley ordeal that I don't think enough people are talking about, and that the OU compliance department is uh, very, you know, very strict. You know, they, they've run a tight operation ever since the Rutt Bomar scandal back in 2006. And when, you know, practice is supposed to be wrapped up at three o'clock, compliance is out there on the field saying, you know, hey, we got to shut this down at 302. I mean, it's, they don't let things slide. And, you know, to actually, I'm not even trying to defend Lincoln Riley here, but that type of idea, that type of mantra would not fly in the SEC. That's not going to work there. And I think that at USC, a program that, Sure, they, they went through some uh, tough times with the Reggie Bush scandal and all that, but you're going to get more leeway. I think you're going to have a compliance department with NIL and such that's going to be more willing to work with you as opposed to what the compliance department is at Oklahoma, where right now that compliance department just isn't SEC ready for what's about to come ahead for them. It's going to be rough having covered the SEC. It's just they're in for an awakening in, in, in some ways. Another thing, I mean, approaching this from a Sooners angle, I'm reminded just because of the ceiling that Lincoln Riley hit, kind of the 10 and twos, 11 and one, getting blown out in the playoff, not really taking the next step that Sooner fans expect. It reminds me marginally of the Mark Rick situation at Georgia for several years and that it was nine and three, have an unforgivable loss, never quite make it past that next step. And Mark Rick losing control of the program when you had the, the, the robbery this past offseason, the guys getting beat up in the bathroom. It kind of felt a little bit like Athens Police Department um, going west. This is Oklahoma's opportunity to find their Kirby Smart, find their guy who can recruit at a higher level and strengthen the defense and build a national title contender legitimately. Again, I don't know if Joe C is going to get his A1 option, but the dude is the most well-connected guy in college football. He will find someone. Yeah, I think he will. You know, Thomas, uh, I know that, you know, you're, a, you're an OSU guy, but we've seen this our entire lives growing up in Oklahoma of the power of Joe Castiglione. And, um, you know, we, we focus so much on the – you're trying to find the big name head coach that's proven it on the field over the years. Um, but you look at the track record, you know, you, you mentioned replacing like Mark Rick at Georgia. Um, 
Kirby Smart had never been a head coach before. And look what Georgia's doing. Lincoln Riley had never been a head coach before. Bob Stoops had never been a head coach before. Tom, it, to me, it all points back to Brent Venables as the guy that, that this all leans towards of getting this Oklahoma job. I know that, you know, Matt Rule sounds like the pipe dream. You'd love to see that happen. But realistically, as far as what how Oklahoma does things and what they need to do to get back to being physical football, I'm looking at I, I think that uh, that Brent Venables is, is probably that that leading candidate would fits what Oklahoma and Joe Castiglione is looking for. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, Luke, I didn't get to touch on it earlier, kind of what you said about uh, kind of being a detached coach, not being a face of a freaking state uh, the way that Lincoln Riley is. And, you know, Gundy has been guilty of that too and his antics with his mullet. But Lincoln Riley's a little bit different when the, you know, the you could call OU a franchise at this point as big as they are. Um, He's not you know, animated. Right. I mean, yeah, but, you know, he's he's still he, he almost commands some respect the way that it's 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 weird. It's almost political. But, um, you know, you you got all eyes on you when you're the head coach of OU, because that's that's Saturdays matter more in Oklahoma than Sundays do. And that might never change. I don't think it will. Um, but <clears throat> Jones, to talk to your point on on, you know, maybe getting a guy like Brent Vittables in or you know, finding their guy with, you know, Joe C coming through and, and doing what he did. I, you know, I, I do agree with that to some point um, that I think they will get their guy. It is OU. It's one of the best jobs, if not a top job, top three job in the nation. Uh, OU's in a little uncharted territory here. They haven't ever had a coach leave since like 1945. Um, and, you know, before, you know, Bob obviously it was the 90s. Sooners team that were trash and I, I I do think I'm a little biased here being OSU but from the looks of things it could be like a mini 90s here for OU until they get some things figured out if it's not however you know maybe they get maybe the Sooner magic comes back in that form uh, because Bob Stoops kind of got to groom Lincoln Riley and, and kind of walked away on his own terms and let Lincoln Riley take that program from where it was at um, you know got I think gifted it, you know, not every brand new head coach gets to walk into a situation being led by somebody like Bob Stoops. Um, so, Oh, you might be able to do it again. I don't know if Bob Stoops sticks around. I, you know, we saw reports of Brett Venables today, uh, you know, maybe rumors still at this point, but I think, and I, I wouldn't be the only one. I'm not even an OU fan, but I've been saying, oh, you should call Brett Venables back for a long time. Not not maybe as a head coach, but he would have been a hell of a lot better than Alex Grinch. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and to your point about Mike Gundy as well, in terms of the, the loose, disengaged, I say that word lightly, I'm not saying careless, but kind of a more hands-off, more, I mean, because Gundy, I mean, has used like the Tennessee job three separate times to get a raise kind of the, the understanding of the transitory nature of college football. I mean, the last season with COVID, he kind of had to step in and take ownership of the program and the processes that were going on inside there. All of this is, is fleeting. All of this is something that, that needs to, I'm not sure. It needs to be treated, I think, a little bit more like a business. And I think I kind of have to give props to, to Lincoln Riley for understanding that OU did not have to be the end-all, be-all. 
I want to move on a little bit to our college football playoff poll that we did today. Um, we have Georgia at one, Cincinnati at two, Michigan at three, Oklahoma State at four. The first two out are Alabama and Ohio State. How do we feel about that? I'll jump in. First I like here. it. I, I like the the top five there. I like. I think we're all pretty much in agreement on those same five. We might have people slotted a little differently, but I I think that's the top five right now. And I think that UGA, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. I think that those are the teams that. Um, you know, if they were to keep winning, you know, a couple of teams still have games, they keep winning. I think they're going to be the ones who are in. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised to see um, where is the poll here? I got to pull this back up now. Um, a lot of surprises. I'm not as surprised with our top five. No, I think that actually, uh, I thought Ohio State would have dropped a little further, but I think that's uh, I, I still had to slide ahead of Notre Dame. I think everybody else did too. So, yeah. yeah Notre Dame played a pretty decent schedule. I, I would say that if Baylor won the Big 12 championship, they would have a pretty nice signature win on their resume to potentially leapfrog Alabama and Ohio State. I can see that. I could see, I could see maybe something like that happening. And, um, you know, and you mentioned Baylor, if that, if, you know, team chaos was to ensue, which I, mean, I don't know. I thought there was a little bit of chaos this past weekend. Um, I don't, I don't know in our, I don't know in our pick them who Michigan, maybe somebody picked Michigan to cover, but I don't think anybody would have come out and said Michigan was going to win that game, especially not after the drubbing that was Ohio state, Michigan state. Yeah, nobody uh, picked uh, Michigan to even cover last week. You know, the, the thing I look at with this poll, guys, is that, it, you know, we, we have Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State's your top four, Alabama at five. The expectation is that we go through this weekend and chalk, hold, serve, and your final four stays the same. That's what we expect. But we are only a couple things away from chaos. Uh, yeah. big discussion what the hell are we going to do come selection Sunday on you know if, if all this plays out you think about okay if Alabama wins then you have to think Alabama and Georgia are in and then you have a debate of Cincinnati Michigan Oklahoma State three teams for two spots if Michigan loses to Iowa then uh, then things start to unravel. Do uh, a two-loss team comes a part of the conversation? Uh, same can be said if Oklahoma State loses to Baylor, then you have a two-loss team become part of the conversation, along with Notre Dame, who their head coach just took another job. Um, you know, at LSU in the process here. It, to me, we're, we are. It only takes one. That's what amazes me. Looking ahead to this weekend, things look like that they're going to play themselves out. But we're one set upset away from blowing all this up, and then I have no idea what you do at that point. Uh, then I guess we go in with an open mind and try to figure out afterwards. But I, there, there's nothing to me that says, okay, if this upset happens here, it's got to be this way. Yeah, I think there's almost two camps of who's rooting for what. I think there's a camp of people who are just rooting for Alabama to lose to Georgia. That's the first monkey wrench. If Alabama beats Georgia, both those teams are in. Right. I mean, it's just too hard to argue with that. Um, so there's a lot of people hoping that Bama loses to Georgia. 
I think there's a group that's also hoping that Houston can beat Cincinnati because then you have the one loss Notre Dame, uh, the one loss Notre Dame who lost to Cincinnati. Um, you have, you know, a Big Ten champion if it's Michigan. Uh, you Could you make an argument for, you know, if, if Oklahoma State were to lose to Baylor? I mean, what happens with one of these two-loss teams is a little easier to skip over Cincinnati in that case. Here's my question, and I think that, you know, a one-loss Notre Dame team, uh, they're not someone I think is worthy of being in that top four. Frankly, they played the worst schedule of all the teams in the top ten, if you ask me. Um, but if, if it does shake out, Bama loses, Oklahoma State loses, Cincinnati loses, is Notre Dame going to get into the playoff with a new coach? With an interim coach? Ugh. Probably. Oh, that's, that's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Who's the most likely? Who's the most likely to lose? Do you think? Obviously, the favorites are Bama, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati. I think it's uh, Alabama is the most likely to lose. They're playing the best team. Yeah, and yeah. Bama is a six and a half point underdog in that game. But is there anybody that's confident that's truly? And I'm the one who's been on Georgia since, since week one. I mean, well, nobody's confident against you. Just. I'm, I'm thinking that Bama can win that game. Yeah. I'm saying when – I, when I said that, I'm not saying who's the most likely to lose. I guess of the yeah. dogs – maybe I should, have, I should have phrased it better. Who's most likely to win as a dog? And why is it Houston? Yeah, <laughs> it, it very well might be. And, and you wish that the committee had taken notice of Houston the way we have. We have them ranked number 10 in our pool. And them beating a number two team would probably not launch them into the playoff, but would put a nice little notch in their belt. I'll tell you, if Alabama does win and gets into the playoff and Georgia also makes the top four, let's assume that Oklahoma State wins, but we assume that the Big 12 winner, that the conference championship goes in anyway, just by virtue of their resume. I'm putting Michigan in over Cincinnati. I think their quality win, assuming that both teams win, Cincinnati and Michigan, if they win their conference championships, one of those teams has to go. I'm probably going with Michigan just because of this past week um, and winning the big game. So you're going with Michigan and Oklahoma State and Cincinnati gets left out. Yes. I mean, <laughs> the committee has always done that when it comes down to the brass tacks. So I don't know. Now, where does Bama – they have to put Bama at the three then if Bama was to win. If they beat Georgia, they'd put Bama one. I'm sorry. That's what I meant. They would have to be – they would have to put both SEC teams flip flop however you want to do it one and three. I don't yeah, think they can one and two. They'll make them one and two. I bet it's Bama one, Georgia two. That'd be a nightmare. But yeah, could be because they don't want to make that a semifinal game. No, right, exactly. So at the end of the day, we could be potentially discussing a playoff debate of Cincinnati, Michigan, and Oklahoma State for those final two spots if Alabama were to win, I think I would have to go. I would, man, I, I would go with Oklahoma state and Cincinnati. I think if it comes down to it at the end of the day, if Oklahoma state gets another top 10 win over a Baylor team this weekend, Cincinnati's undefeated with still one of the best wins in the country over Notre Dame. I would leave Michigan out. I would think, but you know, uh, I think that's why we play the games too. So does that change if they play Wisconsin instead of Iowa? 
Uh, no, because I, I think Wisconsin and Iowa are pretty even, personally. Iowa yeah. went, went through an easy schedule. They avoided a lot of good teams in the Big Ten, though. Yeah, I agree with Jonesy on this one. I think that if you're down to those three teams in a scenario where Bama wins, then I think I would also take Cincinnati if they win and Oklahoma State if they win. Um, I, I'm of the opinion, and I've said this going to the, the season, I have not been on Michigan. I'm not going to overreact to them winning big against Ohio State. It is the most quality win, but it's the only real win, in my view, that Michigan has. Uh, look, gents, we're, uh, we're running out of time here on the Zoom call, so I'm going to wrap this up real quick. But if you could just all briefly summarize just your final thoughts on this weekend and what we've got looking forward on this weird coaching carousel in the college football playoff. Um, I'll be enjoying a lot of football this weekend, and uh, I'm available for any coaching jobs that open. Bo? Um, I am available to be the new offensive coordinator at LSU. If Brian Kelly wants to give me a call, I'd be happy to deposition with him. Um, <laughs> if Tyler can get a job, surely I can get that job and go home. Um, no, I'm excited about that one, about that hire. I am, I am excited about Brian Kelly at LSU. Um, I think this is going to be great. I think it's going to come down to this last weekend. We got three great games. Um, I think we, I mean, everyone's going to want to watch that Georgia Alabama game, Cincinnati and Houston. Cincinnati's, I mean, Houston's no joke. And Oklahoma State and Baylor, there's a lot riding on that, not just for say, Oklahoma State, but for that conference. Yeah. Bridges? Look for me uh, in Arlington, somewhere in the, uh, in the middle on the Oklahoma State sideline, come 11 a.m. this Saturday. Uh, I won't be the first on the field. Uh, if they, they, won't, they, won't, uh, they won't rush. They won't pull an OU in, in against at a neutral site. We wouldn't stoop that low. Um, but that being said, go Pokes, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, games go the way we want them. All right. Go Pokes. Gentlemen, thank you so much. The Studio Soapbox Network, Tyler Jones, Brian O'Connor, and Thomas Bridges. This has been Raw Tools. See you next week.